Well, hello. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And uh, I know we say this every week, but I just want to let you know it's absolutely true that it is a delight and an honor and a privilege to be able to gather with you, uh, that you would honor us by taking time to be with us and to engage uh, God with us together is a huge, a huge deal. So I'm, I'm just thankful for that this morning. Uh, will you please join me as I pray? Dear God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. Um, I ask that you would <clears throat> open our hearts and minds, uh, that we could see more clearly who you are uh, and, and what you are leading us into. Uh, I'm thankful that you invite us to participate uh, with you in the work that you're doing in this world of reconciling all things to yourself. And I pray you would increase our heart for that and increase our desire to follow you um, each day and every moment as we go forward. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you grabbed a bulletin and inside there is a half sheet of paper that says, as we go across the top of it, and that is for you to do whatever you need uh, to keep engaged, whether that's taking notes, drawing pictures, uh, paper airplanes we joked about, but if you've ever looked up on the edge of this little thing up there, there are at least six up there, so someone's making paper airplanes, so if that helps you stay in touch, do it, it's awesome, uh, that is for you uh, to use. <clears throat> we are uh, in week, uh, I think it's seven or eight of our uh, fall series called As We Go, where we've been exploring some of the different themes or elements of being on a journey. Uh, and in this, we have noted that our lives are journeys and that there are lots of uh, sub-journeys, little pieces that kind of make up that overarching uh, story that we call our larger journey or our life. And in the process, we've considered a lot of things. We've looked at a lot of different aspects already. And it's been very full and very good. I think this has been a really amazing series. I have been really blessed uh, by either prepping for it or hearing other people speak on it. It has been uh, an, a fantastic series, I think. Uh, but we are coming to the end of that series. This uh, is the second to the last week, so next week will be our last week in this. Uh, and so I think it's appropriate that today uh, we're going to be talking about that, that, that what it means to be towards the end of a journey, just a little bit out from the finish. And it's a little bit like when you're on vacation, um, and whether it's intentional or not, you know, maybe you're the kind of person who you have it set up that two days before the end, I got to start thinking about what I have to do when I get home, right? You, you plan that out, you have it, you're going to write some things out, um, and you set things up ahead of time, so you've got that space to not think about it, but then all of a sudden you have to think about it. Or maybe you're like uh, the kind of person who you're just out snorkeling or doing whatever, enjoying your trip, hiking, and all of a sudden something kind of creeps into your head, oh, when I get back i got to think about that, and, and it starts to work its way in that way. But something happens to the way we perceive things and the way we respond to things when we start to realize that there's going to be a transition like that, that when we're at sort of that, we can see the end of the journey coming, uh, it changes how we think. Um, if you've been here with us, you uh, may remember that we, it's possible that we've occasionally referred, uh, referenced this documentary series either called The Long Way Around or The Long Way Down. Um, because I've done it every time, I'm going to do it again today. Um, and it's a, <clears throat> a series with these two guys, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. Uh, in one, they're riding motorcycles east around the world. Uh, and in the long way down, they start in St. John of Groats, which is, which is the most northern point of Scotland. And they ride down uh, through uh, southern Europe and into Africa. Uh, and then they ride down to uh, Cape Town. 
and the southernmost point of Africa. This clip we're going to watch is from kind of the end point. Uh, it's kind of nearing the end of their journey. Uh, and so, so watch it and listen to the things that they say and the things that they're talking about. And we'll discuss that a little bit uh, in just a moment. about seeing Ollie and the kids uh, I'm you know sadder and sadder about this journey ending because I'm, I'm really in it now and on it I really feel like I'm in the journey and I'm not <clears throat> concerned about stopping anywhere and camping anywhere and it's just lovely to be in that sort of but it does take a long time to get into that feeling Here's to a lovely day at the Saddles, because there's not many left now before we can drive into Cape Town. Touch wood. 4.20, good time to camp. I like it here. Here's a tree and some sand. No one has tripped out. Absolutely still and quiet. There's a little breeze. It's phenomenal. I think in many ways it was maybe the most beautiful camping spot that we'd ever stayed at. It was absolutely exquisite. And I could feel time running out. All this time I could feel time kind of running out. still we've got uh, 270 miles to go all that way to go there the last part of any journey is your most dangerous time if you're out for an hour right that last five minutes before you get back to your front door is the most dangerous moment you drop your guard and that's what accidents tend to happen and i suppose in this 15,000 mile ride this last two days is our last five minutes, you know, so, yeah, we have to be very careful. So in there, I heard a lot of things going on for, uh, for both of these guys, right? Right at the beginning, Charlie Borman, he says, I kind of can't wait to see Ollie, his wife, and his kids. And then the very next thing he says is, but I'm also really sad about this journey that's coming to an end, right? Because all of a sudden he's like, I'm really in it. I'm no longer worried about the schedule or the details. I'm just in it. And then he even says, but it takes such a long time to get to that point. And so isn't it true that sometimes we find ourselves really just able to immerse ourselves in something and then, oh, now it's got to end. Ewan says a couple times, I don't want this trip to end. I can feel time. I can feel the time moving away 
But then he also says, but these, this last little bit is time you have to be the most careful. It's so dangerous this time. You, you let your guard down and, and things can happen. And I think all of these things are true because I think the reality is, is that when we're nearing the end of a journey, we're kind of all over the place. Our, our feelings and our thoughts can shift back and forth. We're caught in this tension of trying to stay present in the things we're doing, maybe trying to catch up, oh, that we wanted to make sure we did this before the journey was over, and also being aware of the realities that are present that are going to take place after the journey. And so everything is shifting. And I think uh, in, in the process of kind of working through this and thinking about so where are we going to go with that idea? Um, where we landed was talking about something that our church and I think the church in general doesn't talk about much, and that's aging. Um, which is interesting to me because it's one of the few things that we're all doing, right? We're all getting older. We're all noticing things. I, I thought about this just the other day. Uh, it was Friday morning in particular because Thursday night was the Seahawks game. And uh, my kids and I decided we were going to order pizza. And so we got pizza from Pagliacci's, and it was just half cheese and half pepperoni, so nothing too devastating. But Friday morning told me something different, right? That something, it used to be I could eat a whole pizza by myself, and I had two and a half slices. And there are now consistent negative effects when I eat not just Pagliacci pizza, it's almost every pizza now, but it's because my body's changing. I'm getting older. Things are happening. Yes. Uh, I've also noticed it like when I was at Barnes & Noble, right? And I'm reading both the titles on the shelves, titles here, titles here, and I I'm, I'm look down there and I'm like, I don't really want to get down that low, <laughs> but I can't really read it from that far away. So then I do crouch down to read it, and once I'm there, I'm like, I'm just going to stay on this bottom row all the way around until I get to that little step stool they've got so I can sit on that and then I can push myself around with my feet because I'm changing, right? And, and, but it also happens when we encounter things going on in, in the world with our family and with our friends that they're going through things. And, and sometimes as we get older, people are getting sick, other things are happening, people are passing away, and it gets us thinking about this journey we're on and, and the steps in that journey. And we find that our culture and our world are talking about it too, and they're all over the place also. They don't know how to navigate this. Exercise and fitness leader, this guy named Tony Horton, who's uh, famous for the P90X exercise system. He's kind of the, the, the spokesperson and helped create it. He has some quotes about aging that I find fascinating. The first one is he says, aging is for idiots, uh, which I was like, oh, I'd like to talk to you in 20 years. Um, but the next one he says is during one of the workouts, he's kind of in between, he's kind of encouraging people, he's like, aging, not going to do it, not for me. I got your aging right here. You don't have to get old, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. And he kind of spins off into this, but you can get better, you can get smarter, you can get wiser. And then I look at the amount of time and money that our culture spends on anti-aging. Plastic surgery, wrinkle creams, gyms, get the gray out of your hair, get the gray out of your beard. And the markers of aging are really unclear. If it's gray in the beard, I'm done, right? I hide it because it's all tucked underneath this outside layer. But when I get up in the morning, my kids are like, Dad, 
You got a ton of gray underneath your beard. Yes, that's true. And these TV commercials that have these two ex-football players sort of giving color commentary on this guy's life because his beard has gray and it basically tell him that he has no swagger, he has no opportunities for life and fun because he's got gray in his beard. When someone turns, turns 40, we have birthday parties where we bring black balloons. We start saying things like, over the hill. Because... Once you've turned 40, you obviously don't have energy to climb up a hill anymore, so now it's all downhill. Thomas Cole, writing about uh, Abraham Heschel, uh, Abraham Heschel was uh, kind of one of the main speakers at the first White House Conference on Aging in 1961, and he's, what he saw was that uh, the, the mid-20th century American culture, he said it emphasized those values that drain aging of its dignity and meaning. And he said there's two things in particular about this that he sees. One was the, the traumatic fear of aging, that, that we're, be, we're afraid of being considered old. And then he also saw the, the trivialization of life he sensed for people who were no longer working. And, and he looked at this and he said what's at the root of this is that we've turned people into machines that are designed for making and spending money. And the moment the machine is out of order and beyond repair... Well, then we don't need to use it anymore. So in other words, he said aging was the equivalent to breaking down and being cast aside as good for nothing. He said the retirement culture of today is like when you, when you pickle something and you just let it sit in brine and spices. I know, that sounds horrible. Dr. James Houston and Michael Parker wrote this book called A Vision for the Aging Church, and they put together a list of six myths uh, that they saw in, in our culture about aging. And so I want you to listen to these and see if, if you feel like they ring true, not just for our culture, but for the church and our church and even for yourself. Uh, the first one is to be old is to be sick. That means as you get older, your body is not working the way it used to, and there's something about that that almost feels like a sickness. The second myth is that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, meaning that it's more difficult as we get older for us to learn things. And, and people will often cite examples like, and, and Brian even caught me in this in our practice preach, because I said, yeah, it's like, you know, that I have difficulty, like, running the VCR. And he was like, what's a VCR? Right, jokingly, right? He knows what a VCR is, but he was saying, like, VCR is kind of old school, Greg. You might not be uh, keeping up with the times, right? But they often use technology as an example of this, that it's difficult as we get older to keep up with technology. Uh, the next one is what they call the horses out of the barn, meaning that uh, it's too late. Uh, as we get older, the, the effort it takes to get us caught up is more difficult, and it gets to a point where it's just too much. Uh, the fourth one is the lights may be on, but the voltage is low, um, yeah, no, I know, these are, these are rough. Meaning that uh, what it means is as we get older, our, uh, we have inadequate mental and physical capacities to deal with things. Um, the last one is that the older we get, the less we can contribute to the work that needs to be done. Now, as I was reading through these, I thought back to a time earlier in my life when I was uh, in college, 
up in Bellingham, and some of you have heard me tell the story about the apartment building I live in that caught on fire. Uh, the building was really badly damaged, lots of smoke damage to my room, so I had to move out pretty quickly. And so I moved in with kind of one of those, it's a, it's, a, it's a family who's the friend of a friend of my aunt's friend or something like that. And they were very kind to let me in. Um, it was a retired couple. They were in probably their late 70s, early 80s. Uh, he was a retired doctor, and, and they were fantastic. I so enjoyed my time there. But I do remember one specific time where he had asked me to help him with this project. He had a big ditch in his backyard, and in this ditch, there were probably six or seven, they were maybe 15 feet long, uh, big rounds, almost like telephone poles. They were a little bit larger, a little bit rounder than telephone poles. Uh, and he wanted those moved out of the ditch. And I said, awesome, I can do that real fast. And I walked over, and I just started, like, hefting them out. And he was like, well, wait, wait, wait. Like, here, I have this system. Like, we get these ropes, and we can put them around each end, and we kind of work it out. And I was like, well, why would we want to do that? Right? I can just lift these out. And he was like, well, yeah, but that's—you don't have to do that. And I was like, well, but that's what I do, right? That's, that's what I can offer. Like, I have this ability to do this. Um, and so— and, and I realized now, looking back on that, that I was dismissing him. And I was dismissing his idea because, one, it kind of got after my pride. Because I don't think he was saying, like, you can't do that. He did mention, like, I don't want you to hurt your back, which I, of course, responded to. I will not hurt my back. I know how to do this. I'm very capable of doing this. So maybe he did get at my pride a little bit. Uh, but in, 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 in my dismissing him... Um, Again, looking back on it now, there are some things that I really missed. Because now as I'm getting older, I'm not as strong as I once was. I, I kind of wish I could have remembered that idea he told me. Because if I'm ever in a situation where I need to do something like that, or even have those ideas in place, I don't have them. He offered them to me, but I don't remember that. Because I just needed to heft these logs out, because that's what I do. Right, And I also missed out because it wasn't just that. But what he was also offering me was some fellowship. The, the joy you get from collaboratively working together with some, someone and, and, and accomplishing this big task. right? And he was offering that, and I was kind of arguing with him, and he just kind of stopped. Because I think he realized, like, here's this strong-headed kid, and he's just going to do what he wants to do. And so I missed that because I dismissed him. And I did it specifically because I thought I knew better. I was younger. I was stronger. I thought my way was better. And now I don't believe that. And if you don't believe these myths, and kind of even some of the stuff that I shared, um, Ask someone who's over 50 who's tried to apply for a job recently how easy that is or how difficult that is. I have several friends who are in that space, and they have said it is incredibly difficult because people are naturally looking for someone who is younger. There's, there's this sort of myth that they can do the job better. They're going to be a better employee. But it's because we work on a very consumeristic uh, kind of scale. Um, I'm going to go on a little bit of one of my personal rants here. Um, uh, the way we use professional athletes, um, that we uh, pay them lots of money, and, and we support that by, by watching their games, and, and I do this too, so I understand, um, and, and we uh, celebrate them until they can no longer do the function that we want them to do, which is entertain us. And, and, and so once they're done doing that, we kind of just 
set them aside and move on to whoever is the next big athlete that can entertain us and do what we want them to do. And I, I started thinking about this more when I was reading an article where they were talking to J.J. Watt, who is one of the best professional football players out there right now. Um, <clears throat> defensive player, uh, although I don't know how his team is losing so badly today. Um, but um, one of the things they were, he was talking about was he said, yeah, basically once I, I just convinced myself that food is just fuel, I was able to get rid of all the stuff like I have to enjoy how it tastes. I have to, like, spend a lot of time preparing it. Uh, and, and talked about even kind of the ideas about being around people and eating and some of the celebrations that happen and that he's been able to kind of distance himself from those things because those things, uh, he put bad fuel into his body when he did that, and so it didn't serve his needs. And I realized, I was like, wow, those are most of the things that I enjoy about food celebrating someone like at a birthday party or a gathering and you cook a big meal for your family or for some friends or something and, and the, the time of being together and the preparation that goes into making something and, and I was like but there's also truth to that, that that yeah our bodies are kind of machines and we do need fuel and, and we want the right fuel but but is there an extreme in that I think that there's this way we go about thinking about our bodies and our persons that we use each other uh, to, to fulfill certain functions and once those functions can no longer be met then we push those, push those people aside uh, most not most, lots of other countries though uh, care for their athletes way better than we do um, lots of professional athletes in other countries Olympic athletes, when they come back they have a guaranteed coaching job and they're often given a home and so they're taken care of um, and, and they have places where they're still given influence but this is just an example of how our culture works, but I think it applies to the aging population uh, in a really impactful way that uh, I think we do the same thing. That again, we see, well, you don't fit the culture's definition of useful, and so um, we're kind of done. And I wish I could say that I felt like it stopped with just the culture, um, but I think it, uh, it happens in the church too. But so if that's what the, the culture's doing, and even what the church is doing, I want to take a minute and look at what the Bible says about um, aging and, and, and growing old. The first passage I want to look at is in Isaiah 46.4. Uh, and this says, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. What we see here is that it doesn't matter, in a sense, how young or how old we are, that God is still God. That the, and, and I find that really comforting to think, even if I'm just thinking about the Barnes & Noble example of my body changing and I'm getting older, that the, the thoughts that, that start to swirl about transition and, and even the end of the journey, and I feel this way, and I, and I know something else is coming, but, and it starts to you know, move around, that to have God step in and say, I'm the God who's known you ever since you've been born and, I, and I've held you and I've kept you and sustained you and I'm going to continue to do that and I'm going to carry you and rescue you and all of a sudden there's this sense of shalom that, that, that comes to me that there's something so right about that that says yeah but I'm that stability I'm that thing that is going to sustain and carry you even though you're starting to feel kind of thrown around by these thoughts and feelings I'm the same the Bible also talks about some of the attributes 
uh, and I think rewards of old age. Um, in Proverbs 16.31, it says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor, or a chin strap in my case. It is attained in the way of righteousness. And then in um, Leviticus uh, 19, uh, starting in verse 32, it says, Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, it would be one thing if that just said, stand up in the presence of the aged and show respect for the elderly. That would be good etiquette. That would be, uh, yeah, this is a good thing to do. But when it says, stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God, I am the Lord, that seems to add an extra oomph to that for me. That there's something in there where God's saying, and by doing this, you're honoring me. And I am the Lord. How do we treat people who are older than we are we have the bible here speaking directly against the tide of our culture which as we said earlier is sort of stripping age of its dignity and meaning we're here god saying there's a crown of splendor in aging and there's respect and honor there the bible also says that as we grow we are we we should be thinking about taking on a role of uh, mentoring or encouraging those that are younger than we are. In Psalm uh, 71, 17 and 18, it says, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And so then there's God's answer, too, to our our culture's stance of, well, once you know, you're no longer useful as you get older. Where God says, no, no, I, I need you to, to teach the younger generation. And there are a couple of ways um, that I think it's important to remember how this happens. I remember Eugene Peterson speaking at a conference about eight years ago, and so he would have been right around uh, maybe 75, 76 then, I think. Um, he just said, uh, my tolerance for foolishness, he used a different word than foolishness, uh, but he said, my tolerance for foolishness has just gone way down. I just don't have time for it. And I remember thinking, <clears throat> that's fantastic, right? I, when I read through the, the news or when I, when I hear about stuff happening in the world, I wish everyone's tolerance for foolishness would go way down because there's a sense of urgency that he has that says my my time is coming to an end i am in the last you know few hundred miles of my journey and it changes the way i look at things um during uh this is a story i read during pre-desert storm deployment for uh, american soldiers who were in europe um so they were being uh, sent out from Europe. Saddam Hussein, there's news that he had sent out these uh, what they called death squads or suicide bombers into Europe that were there to blow up American schools and hospitals. And so anyone deploying out from that area was leaving their family in harm's way. And the soldiers were rightly so very concerned about this, scared, terrified, not knowing what to do. But there was a, a gentleman who had been in World War II and was a war veteran uh, and they called him the dear saint because what he was able to do was help these other soldiers walk through that. So not just say, oh yeah, focus on the task and do this, but to say, no, I've been there. 
I, I know what you're experiencing. I, I know what it feels like to, to, to feel like your family is in danger. And here's, here's what I did. There was someone there who was able to speak to them. So what can the church do? What can we do? Because as the church, we are exhorted by God to respect and care for all people. But I think for the most part, we're ignoring a group of people within our community. And I think it has a lot to do, again, with the consumeristic nature of, of church. Um, I remember going to a Good Friday service uh, <clears throat> at a church, and they, um, for kind of their, their showcase musical moment, uh, they had two people who, one was playing the piano and one was singing. Uh, the one playing the piano was a seven or eight-year-old girl who was not the best piano player in the world. Um, and there was, uh, I think she was, I think they said she was in her early 80s, uh, woman singing. Um, and the two of them were up there, and, and I was just floored because I remember thinking, this is so counter to what we so, we so often do. Right, that if because if we go by the consumerist model, because what I thought was I walked out of there. Remember, I, I remember thinking, everyone has a place here, everyone is welcome here, and not just welcome in the way like you can come in and just sit, but welcome in the way like you can be up front. If you want to be up front, yeah, go up front because we believe that that's the way God sees people. Because the consumeristic bet is that if we have that as our main director, then what that says is only the thing that's going to get people here, only the thing that's going to sell the product is who we need to have up front. But God doesn't look at people that way. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see his children that way, and we shouldn't either. And so what do we need to do? We need to find places and ways to allow everyone to minister in the ways that God has gifted them regardless of age. And we need to have everyone help us in that process because it's weird for us to say, okay, we're going to find this place for you to become involved in service, but we're not going to ask you about it. We're just going to come up with it on our own. We need to have all those people involved. Because one of the things we talk about a lot here is how our church, we have twice the national average of kids. Kid to adult ratio is twice the national average. So we have a lot of kids here. And that's fantastic, and we love that because that's, that's the people that God has brought to us. But then doesn't it make sense that there are some people who have kind of already gone through that? Shouldn't we be asking them, how, how did you do that? How did you get through a day? How did you get through that night where one of them's vomiting and the other one's screaming and you got two dogs barking and a cat that's scratching at the bottom of your bed or whatever? And, and how, did you, how did you make it? What did you do? Right? There, there are people in our midst who have gone through things that, that we're just beginning to go through. And we could, be, we could be talking to them about that. I just recently had a friend who's not much older than me, but has daughters that are older than my daughters. Um, and, and I went and I asked him, I said, hey, can we have a talk about what it means to, to raise daughters? Because I'm right in the midst of that, and you've done this really well, it seems like. How, how have you done that? And for me, it was a little bit of redemption for that moment that I had with his doctor because I gained so much more than just information about how to raise kids. I heard a father's heart. I enjoyed fellowship over a good meal. 
It was fantastic. It was fantastic. And so what the church needs to do is give honor and dignity back by showing respect, by, by asking questions, and then listening, and then trying out some of the things that we're being told. And so with that, I, I have this, with everything I've said, I have, I have two pleas that I want to give. The first, and, and again, the, the point where this happens is really unclear. So when I say aging or older, I don't know what that means, right? I don't know when a person, there's markers that say, well, now you can get a senior citizen discount or this or that. Or, but I'm, I'm just talking about people that are older, for, for me personally, people that are older than me. So this can apply to, to, to everyone. But for the people that are older, don't give up on me. Don't give up on us. Uh, because we don't know what we're doing. Right? We're trying to figure this out. And we still lots of times think we have the best ideas and the best ways to do things. So please don't give up on us. Right? We're, we're going to try. We're going to start getting better at this. Um, and, and please don't let us get away with it. Because we're going to be like my kids when I say no to them or something. And we're going to try to do it our way anyways. Uh, but we, we need your help. Um, and, and for those that are younger, my plea is to, to step out and to risk and to ask and then to listen. Listen to the wisdom. Learn from what people have done and what they've experienced. Um, and, and see what happens. I think we'll see God move in some amazing ways. Um, worship team, if you could come up, that would be great. I have some questions that I want you to think about. Uh, if you want to write your answers to these on your connection card and you can put them in the wood boxes, it's great for us to have ways to pray for you. Um, so these questions uh, are going to come up here in just a second, I hope. Yes. Uh, so the first question, who are some people in your life that are older than you that have had an impact on your life? Could be your parents, could be a teacher, could be a coach. Who is someone who has taken that mentoring moment it doesn't have to be your whole life but someone who sat with you and and helped you walk through something just just think about that person secondly who is someone you could seek out to be a mentor for you that is older than you are again you might have a question about something maybe you're trying to figure out what college to go to or something like that talk to some people who have done that how did you go through that process i'm trying to decide between three schools what was your process how did you try to figure that out Third, where are you at in your journey in terms of thinking about the last few hundred miles? Are you sensing you're in that phase? For some of us, again, we have friends and family that are going through things, so we are thinking about that more. And for some of us, we are closer to the end of our journey. So, so where are you at in that? And then fourth, how do you see that we are doing in this as a church? How is our church doing in terms of caring for people that are older than we are? And I want you to be really honest with this if you feel like, I don't see it happening at all. And if you are a person who's older, you can say, it's not happening, or I'm not sensing it, or I am sensing it, or, or whatever you see. And then how could we grow in following God in terms of how we are caring uh, for the elderly or for those that are older than we are? Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, you can keep writing if you want while I'm praying. That's fine. Uh, and then we'll, we'll sing a song and close. <clears throat> Dear God, uh, Jesus, I, I'm just reminded of a moment when you were just an infant and your parents brought you to the temple and there was this man there named Simeon who we're not told is necessarily old or young, but there are some things about his specific job and, and other things that seem to indicate that he was probably older. 
um, and that God you had told him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah and then there you are this infant for him to see and he sees you and he says now I can I can pass I can you fulfilled your promise but God I'm, I'm sitting here today thinking that there's there's this wisdom we we can see from this man so far in the past the endurance and, and, and being faithful to something that you told him what does that look like and what does that mean and, and that you will fulfill your promise and we see it lived out in this man's life and yet we have so many people around us who have stories that they could tell us that, that, are, that are similar ways they could speak to us and say yeah God showed up and spoke to me this way and people that have lived more than we have and, and, and things we could learn and grow in together so I pray, God, you would help us. Help us to, to respect and honor those who have gone before us and, and who have wisdom um, and that we would listen to them. I pray you would give us uh, tender ears and tender hearts uh, to hear and to not be so prideful and stuck in our own ways, but to be able to, to listen to those who have gone before us. Um, yeah, God, I pray we would see great things happen as we do that. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand